1: Fast and Loose with Guns, Alec Baldwin and Kyle Rittenhouse, Prosecutor. Bum, bum, bum. Um. (laughs) uh, Those are two names who have been in the news recently, are still in the news. Uh, Lots of mystery around what actually went on. Um, These are two headlines that are stark reminders of why one should never play Fast and Loose with Guns. On the movie set of The Western Rust, Rust, actor Alec Baldwin picked up a prop gun, he pulled the trigger, and lo and behold, he accidentally killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins, and he wounded the film's director, Joel Souza. Of course, it turns out to be really interesting. They found the, um, they were able to find the the detectives, the investigation was able to figure out what happened by getting the bullet out of Joel Souser's arm. <laughs> and uh, he had been, Baldwin had been told the gun was cold, and, but it turned out it had a live round. And uh, there were, had been already problems on the set, uh, so that, of course, added to, you know, there's even talk of maybe this was sabotage because there were a lot of angry crew members. And then, of course, we have, uh, right now, in fact, it's, uh, we're awaiting the verdict, from the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I, yesterday I watched the uh, closing arguments and I have never been so bored as I was um, during the uh, prosecutor's closing argument. First of all, both the closing arguments were allowed to be two and a half hours. And I it was interesting, the defendant's um, closing argument was pretty interesting, but the prosecutor just sh- kept showing these videos um, that you couldn't really see, and yes, I know, maybe if you were in the courtroom as a juror, presumably you could see it better, but still, it was video, black and white, video after video after video, very boring, until Thomas Binger, the prosecutor, picked up a real gun, and this was the gun in evidence, it was supposedly the one that Kyle Rittenhouse used, and um the prosecutor just swung it around the courtroom. It was—it seemed to me that he was trying to play Alec Baldwin. You know, he was trying. He—he he wanted to be Alec Baldwin in a western, right? And so uh, he picked up the gun, he swung it around. It was the judge who, fortunately, said, um, "You know, we should have a detective check that." And—and and he did. And yes, there were no shots in there, no ammunition, but. Um, but it was incredibly reckless what he did. So, today's guest, Steve Wolf, is an expert on guns. He's an expert on movie sets. And he's an expert in courtrooms, where he creates videos which, um, which demonstrate whatever the issue is that is on trial. And I am sure, Steve, <laughs> that he would have made videos that were a lot more interesting than the ones that we, were, that we saw. So um, let me just give a little more of an introduction for you. Steve has been producing film, TV, and live events for 25 years. He's the president of Wolf Stunt Works and founder of Science in the Movies, which is an organization that teaches physics and chemistry through stunt demonstrations. So it teaches kids using movies to get them interested in it, um, but really teaching science principles. So welcome to the show, Steve.
2: Thank you so much, Carol. What a great introduction.
1: <laughs> You're very welcome.
2: <laughs> um, Thank you. I'm so sor- sorry that you had to watch those terrible videos, and that's absolutely appalling behavior in the courtroom by that attorney. The, the, the gun safety rule doesn't say only point guns at people after you check that they're empty. It says don't point guns at people unless you want to see holes in them, or ever.
1: Well, that's it. A- that's a good point. Yes, and I couldn't quite tell whether he was pointing them at the jury or the or the people, the audience in the courtroom. I, I, obviously, you watched it too. What were you thinking?
2: I thinking that was really reckless gun handling, and the the judge <laughs> should have locked that guy out. But
1: I mean, but I mean, could you tell who he was pointing it at?
2: He didn't. Well, he he and I couldn't tell. I doubt, I doubt, I doubt, I doubt he could tell either. It's very poor muzzle consciousness. You should just always know where the muzzle of a gun is pointing when you're holding it, and you, you're very deliberate with it. You know, so it's obvious to you and it's obvious to everyone else that you're not endangering anybody. Yeah. These, jurors don't, these jurors don't get paid enough to be put in fear like that.
1: <laughs> That's true, and especially in this trial where they've been getting threats you know, the judge has been threatened. The judge's family has been threatened. I would not be surprised if somehow notes or uh, messages somehow got to some of the jurors. Uh, there are all these threats, you know, of killing them if um, if they don't come out with the right verdict, which for those people who are sending these notes means, uh, you know, finding him guilty. So so these jurors are under a lot of stress, as it is, before they had the prosecutor point a gun at them. Well, let's start with the movie Russ, because I find that uh, really interesting in terms of, uh, I mean, of course it's tragic, and this woman, the cinematographer, uh, Helena Hutchins, was, you know, very well loved by lots of people in the entertainment industry. So, of course, it's a tragedy on many uh, levels. But um, what I find particularly interesting is how, you know, there's enough blame uh, to go around, and everybody, they're, they're all scattering like roaches <laughs> when you turn the light on. And, um, and it's really interesting to see where the blame is going to fall. So just tell us in general, what do you think about what happened on the set, what should have happened, and who do you think is responsible?
2: Well, guns should never be pointed at anybody. Live ammo should never be used on set. Armors are supposed to check guns and make sure of their condition as safe before they're handed to actors. No one but the armorer and the actor should touch the gun. The first AD has no role in that chain of safety. Uh, Hmm. I I talked to a pilot the other day, and he said, no plane ends up as a wreckage as a result of one mistake. And I thought that was very interesting and and very apropos in this case. It, it wasn't one mistake; uh-huh. it was many, many, many mistakes. And and when you you know, we 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 might say, okay, well, anyone could make one mistake. You know, presumably it shouldn't be the mistake of pointing a gun at somebody and pressing the trigger. But uh, a lot of mistakes had to happen along the way for that to result, you know, in a fatality. The the armorer wasn't there; she didn't check what was inside the gun. Somebody else picked up the gun. Uh, They said that it was a cold gun without even checking it. They handed it to Alec. Alec didn't check it. Alec pointed at the gun at a person who posed no lethal threat to him, and then he pressed the trigger. So, you know, a chain of you know half a dozen things happened there to to create that unfortunate fatality.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Well, I I blame, I mean, first of all, Alec is responsible... Um, regardless, because he was uh, the main producer of the movie, um, and you know, so I mean, the buck stops there. In any case, that's right. Um, but but I I was really particularly uh, outraged at the armourer. Um, she was twenty four years old, and um, she, you know, I want to know who she slept with to get that job. Because clearly it was not, I mean, yes, they were trying to save money. This is a low-budget production. They were trying to save money. And yes, you know, by, by having people who are less experienced and younger and so on, they're able to get away with paying them less. But um, clearly she should never have been on that set to begin with.
2: No, especially with her record on her first movie, which was, you know, just one film prior to that where you know an actor walked off the set as a result of her negligent gun handling. So no, she yeah, shouldn't have been there. She, she was she was there because she was willing to take the movie start to finish for under $8,000. And for under $8,000 yeah. is that all she
1: got? Well, yeah, her oh, wow. yeah, her,
2: her, t- her total compensation for the for the 3-week shoot, prep and wrap time was 7,900 bucks. So you know, so so the producers just jumped at that, uh, you know, because a real armor would have charged that every week. Yeah. And yeah. so this, 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 you know, there's no, there's no way to support the idea that she had the experience that was necessary. So the only reason the producer would hire her was just to save a few bucks.
1: And her father was a very famous um, armorer, a very, you know, respected armorer. Yeah. Fell her Her
2: dad was Fell Reed. Is, uh, Fel Reed. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and they don't get better than themselves. You know, he's, he's
1: and, the, the top. Um, I mean, you know, so, but she okay. only had this one other movie, The old it was called The Old Way with Nicolas Cage. Yes, Nicolas Cage was the one who walked off the set because he was so angry at, That's right. at uh, how careless he was. And... um And, you know, I mean, taking it for $7,900, even though uh, that is not a lot of money compared to what more experienced armorers would charge, still, it would be great for her, you know, for her resume to have on it a film that Alec Baldwin was starring in. I mean, that's primarily why she took it, in addition to the money. Um, But... But, I I mean, (laughs) just, you know... There's a way you work
2: yourself... You know, Carol, there's a way you work your way into that position and into that career. And the way I recommend doing it is you watch movies, you look for people's work who you admire, whether it's special effects, gun handling, acting, whatever, and then you call that person up and you offer yourself as an apprentice to go to work under them to learn from them and to mm. gain experience while you have a more senior supervisor. And it's, this process of, of mentoring and apprenticeship is really uh, something that was, you know, well-known in generations past, uh, but now, you know, everyone thinks that, you know, as soon as they graduate high school, they're entitled to be a department head or whatever. And, that, you know, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. If, if, if she'd have, mm-hmm. you know, gone to... She could have gone to work, you know, working for her dad, and, and he would have dragged her around yes. from set to set, and she would have made, you know, not a lot of money, but she would have learned how to command safety properly and command the respect of the crew and to understand that when she says, this isn't safe, I'm packing up my guns and going home, she means it. Nobody questions her. No one second guesses her. You know, it, it. it's not just a matter of the knowledge. Uh, you have to... Mm-hmm. have the authority, have the, the, the presence, that w- when you say no, it means no, and, and nothing mm-hmm. happens with those guns until you say it's safe. So it's, it's, yeah. be, yeah. the other be- everyone else on the set, all they're doing is making a movie, okay? They're not curing cancer. They're not saving lives. They're just, <laughs> you know, telling some stupid story that's going to air on, you know, some TV for 20 minutes, and then everyone's going to forget. What people don't forget is when someone dies. And the only person on the movie set who decides whether people die or not are the armorer and the special effects coordinator. They're the people that if they do their job wrong, someone dies. So that is not the place to Mm -hmm. skimp, you know, in in your budgeting. And it's not the place to pull in an inexperienced person. You want the, the most experienced person you can find for those roles. You know, otherwise,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're going to
2: see more. You're going to see more of what happened on this set.
1: hmm One thing that was interesting too is that before that, she was on, before she started working on this movie, she was on a podcast. And and I I know she regrets this now, but she told the person, the host of the podcast, that um, she had just finished filming her first movie as Head Armor, which was the one we talked about, the old way with Nicolas Cage. And she said, "I almost didn't take the job because I wasn't sure if I was ready." <laughs> well, and, and that well, I now, can confirm, I can Hunter. confirm her
2: supposition. She's not ready.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and now with you and, know
2: with the uh, having only killed people on one out of two of her projects, uh, you know, she's not really lined her career up for a stellar trajectory forward from here.
1: No. can you, I, I mean, I think it's over, right? Like, who would hire her? Because if something happened oh, yeah. on a wow. set that she was, the next set that she was on, um, of course the person who was the head executive producer of it would be sued if something happened because... Uh, because they would, they would say, well, why did you hire her? You knew that she really didn't know what she was doing.
2: Right. Right. And, and, we, and <laughs> we, we really, we don't know the full story. You know, we, we don't know that she said, don't use those guns. They're not safe or, or whatever. But, you know, or, or she said, you know what, you guys really shouldn't be doing this. I haven't had time to train you properly. But then to, to just, the, so even if she made a statement like that, You know, if she didn't enforce it by locking the guns up, then, you know, she still didn't do her job. You know, and I've been on sets where things were were rushed, you know, where they they wanted the car, you know, blown up, you know, that night at sunset, you know, and they don't bother telling me until six minutes before sundown. They're like, we need to blow up the car right now, grab all the explosives, run over to the set. And it's like, you know what, I don't run with explosives. And Copernicus could have told you when sundown was 400 years ago. And if you guys didn't plan <laughs> properly, that's on you. But I'm pretty sure, based on past performance, there's going to be another sunset tomorrow. So when you guys plan this uh-huh. out and you've you know you've allowed enough time to do this safely, you know then we'll do it. In the meantime, remember we're we're just making a movie here, and nothing that we do is worth anybody getting hurt. Uh, and yeah, and, uh-huh. and you have to be willing to to you have to be willing to be that grumpy geezer uh, who who doesn't let the safety line get pushed. I mean, otherwise, they will push okay. it because, you know, it saves them money and they get their movie done. Oh, but
1: of course, the risk of the way, that, though, that is...
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, you're absolutely right, but the risk of that is um, that maybe they won't... I mean, I'm not, I don't know if that works, how it works for you, but, like, for a lot of people um, who are afraid that if they say that kind of thing, they're not going to get hired again you know if they try to do
2: the right yeah, thing I mean, then yeah you can, you could say it pleasantly but you know i've have said i've said it pleasantly and still you know have threats to kick me off the movie you know, just because i wasn't going along with the production's unsafe schedule mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you can oh, you can come you can come back from that you know with uh, with your next you know, with your next project but there's no coming back from killing someone so okay, given the choice true. between having, killing somebody by accident and having your career over or just losing that one job, you're, you're still pretty far ahead if you just lose the one job. And, and really, you just yeah. you don't want to work with the kind of people who, who work that way. You know, I, I worked true. on a, a music video for Whitney Houston, and we were doing a special effect that involved liquid mercury because we were working in the, the pre-digital era. When, when mm-hmm. if you wanted ripples on a mirror, you know, you've got a, a mirrorish surface like mercury and rippled it. Uh, and they forgot to film the effect in the studio. They were moving over to film underneath a bridge on the East River. And they said, well, just bring the liquid mercury and you'll set it up by the river and we'll get the shot there. And I said, you know, no, I won't do that. If, if this mercury spills into the river... You know, we're going to kill every fish for 100 miles for the next 100 years. (laughs) Not a safe way to do it. (laughs) And the director walked over and he smacked me in the face. He smacked me and he said, where did we find this guy? Can't we get someone more cooperative here? And I (gasps) packed up my toys and I went home. So there are jerks out there like that. But... (laughs) You know, well, I, I'm, well. I'm not going to be the guy who poisoned these, Trevor, the, for, the, for the next eternity. Yes.
1: <laughs> you would have become famous. All right, we need to take yeah. a break right now. <laughs> That's a good story All to right. take a break on. Um, when we come back, we will continue talking about uh, being fast and loose with guns, Alec Baldwin and Kyle Rittenhouse, prosecutor. <laughs> so stay tuned.
0: follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and
1: you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at
2: Voice AM Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number
1: one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, We're talking about being fast and loose with guns, Alec Baldwin, and the prosecutor for Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, my guest is Steve Wolf, and let me mention some of the uh, work that he's been involved with. Feature films including The Firm, Three Men and a Baby, Do the Right Thing, The Last Boy Scout, The Client, The Jungle Book, Hustle and Flow, and Castaway. and then for television credits, All My Children, Law and Order, America's Most Wanted, Rescue 911. He also did uh, The Dave Le- David Letterman Show and as he was mentioning in Whitney Houston's music videos, um, <laughs> Law & Order is... Uh, what did you do on Law & Order? That's one of my favorite shows.
2: <laughs> I did a few things on Law & Order. Uh, I did uh, stunt safety supervision. I was a set medic there. I played a paramedic in several episodes, and I provided the ambulance that they use uh, in, in most of the scenes where they were using an ambulance. I had bought an ambulance, huh. and it happened to be kind of short it was the shortest ambulance in manhattan uh because the city had gone to all these new high ambulances and the city ambulances couldn't get into any of the garages where they filmed so just by by luck by luck of its stature it's the one that whenever they were filming on a rooftop uh they needed to be able to drive it through the garage to get there they would hire my ambulance
1: oh that's fabulous (laughs) that's <laughs> well, such a good show. Well.
2: And I understand that uh, Dick Wolf in his Empire of Projects is is moving into doing something on the wildfire project right now. He's he's got hmm. a crew embedded with the the wildfire fighters in California documenting oh, the to work that they're that they're doing. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, my favorite Law and Order is, is Criminal Intent, by the way, because uh, the guy who is uh, Vincent D'Onofri is plays a detective who is very psychological. He really, he psychs people out, and I, I find that very entertaining. Um, okay, <laughs> you know, I've worked, I worked for 10 years. I, I've worked as a psychiatric script consultant, including 10 years on the sets of... Uh, um, Young and the restless and bold the and beautiful i was i looked at all read all the scripts and made corrections or suggestions wow. in terms of psychological accuracy and i won a, I was honored by the uh, Academy of Television Arts and Sciences with an Emmy for that for those works those congratulations. years
2: congratulations
1: um, <laughs> thank you so i I also know what it's like to and i 've done other things on movie sets and and as well as television so um, so I know how crazy it can be, and let's that let's, let's leads into what we were going to talk about. Tell, tell us about what you know about the craziness that was on the um,
2: Rust set. Well, there there can be uh, you know a fair amount of psychological intimidation that occurs on these sets. That you have you know very famous actors like Alec Baldwin, very aggressive first AD like Dave Halls. And then you know, here's this this young armorer. It's only her second movie. She's very low on the totem pole. Uh, she doesn't have the experience. You know, she she doesn't have a, a long reputation to respect. Um, and then here, these famous people are telling her what to do. Um, and it, you know, it can be very intimidating. She do, she likely doesn't feel like she has a leg to stand on. When she tells people, hey, I, uh, we need a few more training hours or, hey, let me, let me check those guns. Uh, I know it's going to push your production back, you know, 40 seconds. Uh, so it, it really easy to, it is easy for people to get pushed through on that when, when they don't feel like they have the experience to, you know, to demand the respect and the time that's necessary to do things safely. And, you know, the industry does take advantage of that. Mhm. Well, I can understand how, so, so, you know, while on the one hand, you know, technically she didn't do her job, you know, on the other hand, they make it very difficult for her to do her job. And, and in fact, the more they keep her from doing her job, the faster they can move the production along. And that speed does mm-hmm. come at the expense of safety, you know, absolutely at the expense of safety. But, you know, no one thinks it's going to happen to them no one thinks that they're going to be the one handed a live gun and, and accidentally shoot somebody. So they push through. But, you know, my feeling on gun safety is that it's, it's extremely simple. You know, five-year-olds can master it. An actor like Alec Baldwin who can memorize 120 pages of dialogue, you know, why can't you learn and follow four sentences of gun safety? You know, mm-hmm. don't point guns at things you don't want to destroy can keep your finger off the trigger until you have your sights on the target you know I mean, it's, it, it's it's simple stuff all guns are always loaded so if you if you understand you know all guns are always loaded unless you've personally checked them and while they remain in your hands then you don't trust when somebody hands you a gun and tells you it, it's not loaded or you trust them and you say that's great uh, now i 'm going to check, so it 's much mm-hmm. like you know the way we, we the way we handle nuclear programs in other countries trust and verify yeah yes, I mm-hmm. trust you it 's a cold gun now show it to me and that 's the mm-hmm. way you do it because when the gun's in your hands you 're responsible for what happens for with it so w- why wouldn't you take the twenty seconds to check it, especially on a rehearsal, not even a rehearsal, a blocking rehearsal. They were just, you know, checking you know, how the lighting was set up and making sure no actors mm-hmm. were blocking other actors, right? You know, there, there, there was no rush on this. So there, there was certainly no reason to point a gun at anyone, certainly no reason to press the trigger. So this is poor gun mm-hmm. handling. And, and as the armorer's job is to make sure that poor gun handling doesn't happen. You know, you, you train your actors, and then you stay right there on top of them, and you watch, you don't take your eyes off the gun. You don't take your eyes off their hands, and anything unsafe starts to happen, you intervene immediately and forcefully, not because, you know, you're a jerk, but because you know that if you don't, someone could die. So how assertive are you yes. willing to be to make, to make sure that nobody dies? Hopefully pretty darn assertive.
1: Well, let me mention some of the other things that were some of the can'ts. That was going on there was, it was just so much chaos uh, just that morning that the this incident happened the shooting happened um, six at least six crew members quit uh, there was all kinds of unrest on the set with the with the crew because because of things like uh, long hours I mean it's always long hours on a set but they were feeling that these were particularly long the hotel that they had gotten to that the production got for them to stay in was far away or or actually the one that they had gotten that was closer was they didn't think was uh up to their standard i don't don't want to say it like that because i don't think they were having such outrageous standards but they they were really there were costs were being cut all over the place and so so the crew would drive to this other hotel that was further away and then they would be tired and you know and especially getting off really late and everything and uh, just a whole bunch of various uh complaints and and uh grumbling and all that so at least six crew members quit just that morning and somehow or other <laughs> they managed to get you know we don't know how good these people were but they managed to replace them uh that same day and then other things that happened um there were there were, people are saying there there weren't having safety meetings, um, and that you're supposed to have safety meetings, especially when there are guns involved. And then another thing closer to the shooting was it, they it, this was right after they came back from a lunch break, and they had locked away some of the guns and and um, um, armor the um, bullets, and then there were some things left out. So that's why this. Uh, This theory, or this—I don't know—this what to call it? uh, Rumor, or about how somebody did it? Because because there was so
2: much, uh, so many people who were. The correct word is it's misogos is the word you're looking for, Uh, and (laughs) and you know and I I doubt there's anything to I doubt there's anything to this lawyer baked up theory that this was some type of sabotage. This was simply sloppy journalism. Yeah, that, that's right. Well, somebody snuck, you know, n- n- no people work under difficult conditions on a set. Nobody wants to make so much trouble that they kill somebody else. They may want to quit. They may want to, you know, do a practical joke on someone. They might want to, you know, turn you into the union or, you know, get your set shut down. But they're not trying to to have you kill somebody, you know, because no, they didn't like the, the quality wants- of a motel that they were staying in
0: so i don't
2: don't so, I, I don't, I don't, I don't to buy
1: into the sabotage theory at all yeah but, okay but but wait, but the thing is, I don't necessarily buy into it, but I'm just saying like even if if that were true it would still be the fault of the armorer and the other people you know whose job this relates to, because um Absolutely. Because people shouldn't have been able to do any sabotage
2: right, no one should have had access to the gun. No one should have had access to the boxes of ammo. These things should have, you know, they're supposed to go from the actor's hand directly to the armorer's hand, directly to the safe. They get locked up. Everyone goes to lunch. You take the guns out of the safe. You clear them all again. You bring them to set. You check again that they're clear. You check what you're loading into them, you know, whether whether it's blanks or dummy rounds or nothing. You check it. You hold the gun open so that, or, or in this case, you can't open the cylinder, but you can. there's a viewing port or a loading port where you can see one cylinder at a time, one, one chamber at a time within the cylinder. And you show that to the first, it's the first AD. Then you show that to the actor so that everyone's on the same page, and that's, that's kind of the ongoing function of the safety meeting. And the safety meeting is, mm-hmm. is done you know, as soon as guns are brought on set every day, it's supposed to be on the call sheet. We're working with guns today. You announce, hey, we're working with guns. If anyone feels unsafe about anything, please raise your hand. Everyone has a right to say stop. Uh, show me the gun. I don't feel comfortable. And, you mm. know, and that, that that's just the, the type of time you're supposed to take to do this properly. So, and, you know, you don't, hmm. you don't leave guns out yeah. where people can access them. You don't leave your box of blanks out where somebody could return the live ammo that they didn't finish flinking with during lunch. these are just safety violations stacking up on top of each other until they fall over.
1: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you ever, um, and I don't think we mentioned, I want to make sure we mention uh, the armorer's name, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. I'm not sure that we did mention her name, um, but <laughs> I want people to know <laughs> know her name in, in case uh, in case she applies <laughs> to work on something that you're at. Um,
2: right. And, and again, you know, we, we've heard from her lawyers, which I, I feel like every time they release a statement, they dig her a little bit deeper hole. There's uh-huh. nothing that they say makes sense or is well phrased or well thought out. Yeah, but we haven't heard from Hannah herself. So while it certainly, yeah. you know, it certainly seems that there was a lot of dereliction of duty there, and you know, we don't know the conditions that she was working under. We don't know that her, her boss, the assistant director, didn't order her to go do something else, given that she, w- she was both a prop handler and a weapons handler on the gun. So, yes, that, um, know, that
1: right, was, that's like one they, of the things. They put her in a really
2: untenable position where they said, okay, you're the armorer. Okay, yeah, just leave these guns here. Now we need you to go get those props ready. And she says,
1: "Yeah, you know
2: what, I, I I don't feel like I should leave the hand, the, the guns in the hands of the actors. But, you know, I'm here to supervise them. And they say, you know what, if you don't like it, take a hike. And so she goes and does the other thing. So it's entirely well, yes, possible. Wait, this, you're just she,
1: saying... Wait, wait, you're saying hypothetically, you don't know that for a fact that they told her to go.
0: To...
2: No, yeah. no, we don't, okay. we don't know that. And since, and since we haven't heard any testimony from her, you know, the, the jury still out on what her work conditions were. This doesn't mm-hmm. excuse, you know, that, that, you know, not stepping up and handling the guns properly, insisting that she be there anytime the guns are out of the safe, you know, that, that, that doesn't excuse that, but we also don't, we don't know what the full picture is yet.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, and if yes. they did
2: intimidate her, if they did threaten her job, you know, it, does she have the wherewithal to say, "That's fine, I'll"? There's other jobs out there, or or does she say, oh, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Baldwin." You know, let me make this right and get these guns out for you while I go fold laundry. Mm-hmm. We, we don't. We don't. We, we don't. We don't know what the conditions were, or while I post on my Instagram. Uh-huh. account.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, so, um, so definitely, the, you know, a the, serious mistake.
1: Yes, we're coming up to a break right now. So, but when we come back, let's talk about um, some interesting experiences that you had on sets, and also um, some of the things. I mean, you 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 list on, on your website. You list some of your uh, career experiences. It's like. Uh, <laughs> It's like all these different things. Uh, A Renaissance man. So we can talk about some of these things too. All right.
2: Well, just just in Uh, case there's reincarnation, I want to squeeze it all in.
1: Yes, right. We need to take a break right now. Um, My guest is Steve Wolf. We've been talking about Fast and Loose with Guns, Alec Baldwin and Kyle Brittenhouse, prosecutor. And uh, we'll be right back.
0: check out her book Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times www.drcarol.com. Tune into to the Voice America Variety Channel on the
1: Voice America Talk Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about guns, fast and loose with guns. Alec Baldwin and Kyle Rittenhouse, prosecutor. Um, my guest is Steve Wolf. we've been talking about uh, what not to do <laughs> and what to do. He's been giving uh guidelines for what you should be doing with guns um, and now let's let's uh let's change gears a little bit. Um, i really I was really impressed Steve with when I was reading your bio on your website, I was really impressed with um your attitude. <laughs> Uh, Because I share, I don't know that I'm quite as manic as you, but I share your same philosophy. Like you have here, um, let's see, his doctors don't think he has more than 50 years left to live, so he's making every day count. Um, And then, let's see, just other things. I mean, there are other little comments on here about how... um, about how you make the, the most of every day. And certainly with this list of, of careers or, or jobs or, you know, um, talents that you do, uh, that certainly certainly bears it out. Um, and so, so and, 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 um, let me mention also that you grew up in Geneva, Switzerland, where Steve took up mountain climbing at the age of six, so you kind of get a little uh, clue then, by six years old, that he's uh, <laughs> going to be climbing mountains and doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, then became fluent in French, and in New York City, he learned the meaning of street smart, Then he went to Tulane University and got a B.A. in writing and literature, and that, with an emphasis in Shakespeare from Columbia University. In New York. I'm from New York, also, and then a graduate of Meisner uh, acting training, and so on. And um, he's been a stuntman, uh, an old EMT, rescue diver, scuba instructor. Um, <laughs> I was a scuba instructor. Well, I was a scuba scuba diving doctor for a couple of months wow. when I went to club when I went to club med. I had no idea how to be a scuba diving doctor before I went to Club Med. <laughs> I was an MD, but I had no clue about scuba diving. Um, but then the scuba diving doctor who they had decided to go back to, um, you know, to being a doctor, a real doctor, and uh, and they didn't have anybody. And I happened to be there on vacation, and it just kind of lucked out. And I learned a quick course in uh, in uh, being a scuba diving doctor in. And a few hours before he had to make his plane, so kind of ridiculous. And I learned scuba diving. Okay, at the but that, same that's time a too. good
2: point. That, that if you could learn it in two hours, you know, why make four years of it?
1: <laughs> and what? Say it again.
2: I said, you know, I, you, you didn't have to go to four years of dive medicine school when someone who had been <laughs> doing it for a long time was able to just give you the cliff notes to it.
1: And, <laughs> that's, and that's really true, the, the case in a lot
2: of things. You know. <laughs>
1: I was praying the whole time that nobody would actually have an accident. Actually what I did was I had to examine people. The first part of my job was to examine people before they were able to go scuba diving. So I would not let anybody go scuba diving if they had any kind of physical problem like if they obviously if right. they had a heart attack ear in the past, infection, uh, sinuses, uh, right, microbial yeah, so
2: so I, I kind of I I,
1: did, I decreased my risk. <laughs> um, Anyhow, enough about me. <laughs> so I bring this up because um, it's—I mean, where do you, like before we get into this new thing that you're doing? Where do you think where does that come from? This sort of feeling that you have to get all these things in. Um, not, I mean, presumably you don't have any. I, I, I certainly hope, after I said all of that, that you don't have any. You haven't been diagnosed with a terminal illness, but it's like, it seems like from the age of six at least, you had this drive to climb high and fast. So where does that come from?
2: Well, that comes from feeling like a tourist, that I I have no recollection of where I was before or knowledge of where I might be after, but while I've got this, you know, 90-year layover here on Earth, uh, you know, check out the things that they've got to offer here. You know, if you were in know, Paris, they'd like, say, you yeah. know, check out, check out the bistro. And well, if I'm here on Earth, you know, do the things that you can do here that they don't have elsewhere. You know, whether scuba Absolutely. diving, jumping out of airplanes, you know, there's a whole bunch of really cool experiences that are offered here that you should take advantage of. Just like when you were in Club Med, you know, you, you had access to diving, so you hopefully went diving or did the trapeze yes, or, so. you know, right? Right? Yes, you wanted to do yes. the things that they had because they were there. And, You know, I feel the same way. Absolutely. So there's two things I like. I like like trying new stuff and then introducing it to other people.
1: Okay. But what I'm trying to say, remember, I'm a psychiatrist. What I'm trying to say here is that something had to have, there is something in your family environment, something that happened to you in your life before you were six and started climbing mountains to push you on this trajectory. So I'm asking you know, My you parents if you can, were both entrepreneurs,
2: an and had started and run you know their own businesses. And uh, you know, my dad, my so I watched my dad go through you know many careers and and, and pinnacle in each of them. And uh, you know, it's kind of like going to the moon. They say that you know we got there primarily because no one told us we couldn't. It. Uh, and it, it's uh-huh. and I was lucky enough to be raised in an environment where. You know, anything I wanted to try, I got a lot of encouragement at home. And they said, sure, you want to climb a mm-hmm. mountain, climb the mountain. You want to repel, repel. You want to learn how to blow stuff up, blow stuff up. What, you know, what, whatever you want to do, do it. Nobody was saying, like, oh, that's a stupid idea. You can't do that. You'll get hurt. That's dangerous. It's like, well, yeah, they, right. actually, these things are dangerous. They are dangerous. But presumably with the right amount of science and safety etiquette, you know, you can do dangerous-looking things and do them safely. Uh, I've spent a lot mm-hmm. of time, you know, in, in STEM education, uh, trying to get kids excited about learning science, using my background in movie stunts and special effects as a hook to get them excited. So, if you see somebody on fire in a movie, you know, how come that person doesn't burn up? You know, because of insulators and the way we formulate the fuels to burn at low temperatures. So the you know, the things that kids find most exciting which i think are movies and what they see in video games which are you know animated movies you know th- that it's all stem it's all it's all science and it's a great hook yes yeah. and we don't have to you know we don't have to make every kid a scientist uh in order to solve the the world's upcoming problems but we we need to make enough of them scientists or and they, we have to make them want to learn it you can't force feed anything to kids anymore they do what they want to do uh, but you can make learning these things appealing. You know, only one guy had to invent a light bulb for everyone to have light. Only one person had to mm-hmm. invent penicillin for us to all have antibiotics. So, you know, we don't mm-hmm. need, you know, mm-hmm. an entire generation of scientists, right? But, but we need enough of them to make sure that, that, the, that climate impact, transportation, energy, medicine, you know, that, that these things are all well addressed by future generations. Well, yes, and I sure think that's, that's a
1: fabulous way of a, a fabulous way of getting kids interested in science because uh, you know they all want to know uh, they're they're going to be curious about like what you said about the fires and in uh, how come the actor doesn't burn and that kind of thing and then uh, and then that makes them want to know more about it so I think that's great. Well, talking about that and fires and so on, uh, Steve has a new <laughs> a new uh, area of interest.
2: Um, and yeah. His, his yeah my new my new business is called the it's called Pyro Nemesis, which you know which which is uh, it means the enemy of fire uh, and what I'm doing is I'm taking my background of 20 plus years in special effects and pyrotechnics okay correction 30 plus years <laughs> who, who keeps track though, right and and I'm yeah. using that to figure out you know how we can put out these wildfires because the type of fires that we're seeing right now bear no resemblance to the type of fires that we saw, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, when uh, a machete and a shovel and a chainsaw were adequate tools. We're seeing megafires right now that fire departments don't have a tool that's capable of, of responding effectively. So I was thinking about, you know, what is climate change driving? We're seeing more fires. We're seeing more hurricanes. But just the way you never see you know, Superman and Clark Kent in the same room, you never, see <laughs> wild, you never see wildfires and hurricanes in the same place. And that's because a hurricane always yeah. trumps a wildfire, right? Th- those winds, if they're blowing counter to the direction of the fire and the amount of rain that's dropped by hurricanes, you know, it'll simply blow a wildfire out. And so I thought about how could we make hurricanes on demand? Basically, you know, hurricane as a service, so I came up with a design that uses a logging skitter as a base vehicle because they can go anywhere up in the mountains. And putting four jet mm-hmm. engines on it to drive tremendous amount of wind and then add 800 nozzles to, to create rain, and you've got what would in any movie set be an incredible you know, hurricane effect. But instead of using mm-hmm. it as a special effect to make a James Cameron movie more exciting, you know, we're using it to actually blow out wildfires. So I, I uh, just moments before our call started, received our first hundred thousand dollar investment to build oh, wow. the prototype for the Pyronemesis uh, technology. If you if you want to see a picture of it, it's it's pretty cool. It's at pyronemesis dot com, and and you'll see yeah, it's so really it's a hurricane on show wheels.
1: It for people. Yes, I'm. I'm looking at it right now. Let me spell it for people. It's pyro, that which means fire. P y r o. Nemesis, you know, enemy. N e m e s i s dot com. Nemesis dot com. So, so has it? Have you used it in any way? I mean, I mean, you're saying no. We've done something called CFE
2: so far, which is. We've done CFD, which is Computational Fluid Dynamics, and that tells you how a machine that that generates wind is going to interact with the environment. And the, the testing, the modeling was very successful. So our next step is we're going to build the prototype and then take it on a road show and show it to CAL FIRE and take it to Oregon and take it to Australia and demonstrate how this technology gives firefighters a tool of a magnitude they've never had before and that you know, right now when a fire reaches a certain size, they just recall the troops, you know, and we, we just go wait it out because we don't have a tool that can fight back against that. But I'm hoping that this will prove to be that tool and that we'll be able to save communities, homes, lives, uh, habitats, and businesses uh, being able to put fires out when they do start. So this isn't fixing climate change, even though wildfires are a driver of climate change. They're, you know, they're also a symptom. So uh, I understand we're just treating a symptom, but if you treat enough of the symptoms, you stop a patient from dying. And if we can, you know, if we can yes. treat wildfire, you know, in the wilderness, you know, we, can, we could save lives this way. So I'm really excited about yes, this. Yes,
1: and save, you know, save
2: every, lives Everyone thinks making movies is cool, but, yeah, making movies is, is really pretty boring for the most part. Uh, it's a lot of hours of sitting around and... You know, and unless it's an impactful movie, you've really just kind of wasted three months of your life. Uh, But (laughs) working on technologies that make, you know, the future safer for for people is something that's, I think, quite a bit more exciting. Yes, well, that's, I know, it's funny.
1: People have this idea. Idea of what a movie set is like as, as being you know so exciting and all that, and it is in a sense, but it, it does. It's very long and it does get boring after a while. But um, yeah, yeah. It what's exciting about it is happening. having
2: so many talented people working together towards something. Yes, yes, But, but, yes. That, but that doesn't I mean, mean that the thing that they're working towards is valuable.
1: Right. I mean, It's. It, it's, it's I guess what I want to say is, it's just. Not as, it's not all glamour. It's. Uh, it's hard work. You know, and um, and long and hours so and crappy hotels,
2: as that crew can tell you.
1: <laughs>
2: and long drives and no turnaround and no time to do your laundry and, you know, for what? <laughs> like, like all, all of those man hours and, like, what have you accomplished? Like, so you well, made a western? So okay, there's, there's already been good westerns, right?
1: Well, we we kind of have come to the end of our time. I just want to say one thing that uh, was interesting is that a fair number of people do what you have just done or are doing, which is that after experiencing that and the glamour and the fun and all that, to the extent that 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 it's there, and the creativity is really the cool part. um, To the you know, after people experience that in the entertainment industry, then they do have a, a, a need to feel more fulfilled in terms of doing something to help people besides just entertain them. That's absolutely right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve Wolf. You're you very, Carol, very thank, um, thank you for my hour. What do I owe you? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: well, I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, and thank you all for listening. <laughs> You've been listening. You can just retain me by, by being successful, right? Now that you came to the... You figured out what happened in your childhood. Um, and thank you right. all for listening. You've been for, listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. for the breakthrough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.